0: Amen. Well, please turn, in God's Word, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. And today our passage is going to bring us to the banner that is on the wall behind me. that says, Soli Deo Gloria. That means, to God alone be the glory. And that is front and center. That is the central reason why we exist. As we're going to see in Scripture today, our church purpose statement says, This church is exists by the grace of God for the glory of God, which shall be the ultimate purpose in all that we do. And that is the purpose statement of the universe as well. That's that's why God made the world. That's the end for which God created everything. All things, Romans eleven thirty six says, all things are from him and through him and to him to, to God be the glory forever. Amen. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And if you look with me at Romans 3.23, we're going to see man's chief problem then in light of that. Romans 3.23, familiar verse, but it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're doing a series on God's attributes in Romans, looking at these phrases that describe who God is as they are revealed here, and today we come to God's glory. And what I want us to see as we look at this subject of the glory of God through the book of Romans is God's glory is our problem when we sin, and then God's glory is our purpose when we are saved. God's glory is our problem when we sin. God's glory is our purpose when we are saved. Sometimes we think of sin just as doing bad things. Or how it's, it's bad for us or bad for others. But we need to think about sin more deeply in relation to who God is. He is holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of His glory. So what is sin? I think John Piper says it best. He says, sin is the glory of God, not honored. It is the holiness of God, not reverenced. The greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not praised. The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The, the goodness of God, not savored the faithfulness of God not trusted the justice of God not respected the wrath of God not feared and the grace of God not cherished that is sin and we're going to see the grace of God in verse 24 next week but all of those attributes those characteristics or qualities of God all of those are in the book of Romans and Romans 3 23 is is a statement now as he's been building his argument for three chapters that the fundamental problem with sin is falling short of the glory of God, the glory of God not being honored. and In fact, God's glory encapsulates all those other attributes as well. Sin's problem is not primarily about us and others. It is primarily about God when we fail to praise and deprive His glorious attributes. And as we think even of his attributes, there's a lot of books you'll read on this don't, don't even have a chapter on God's glory as a separate attribute because they see it as the sum of all his attributes. Uh, and so you could think of it as a, a super attribute or, or a, a category where all these other attributes fall under. And so we've been looking through Romans at... Starting in chapter 1, verse 17, these phrases, these various qualities of God, the righteousness of God is revealed, the wrath of God in chapter 1, verse 18. And then verse 20, the power of God. Chapter 2, verse 4, the kindness or the goodness of God. Last week we saw the faithfulness of God. And now we come in verse 23 to the glory of God, which I would argue is not so much a separate attribute as it's a a sum of all the rest. And so think of God's power. He is glorious in His power. He is gloriously kind. He is glorified in His faithfulness. But we come to us, we sin and fall short of that glory. We fall short of the glorious standard of God's law. And so don't just think about sin horizontally this way, about how it relates to others. We need to think first and foremost vertically about how our sin relates to this God who gives us life and breath and all these things all the time. And how we are all sinners in need of grace. That's where he's going in verse 24 of chapter 3. This, this whole section, chapters 1 through 3, is about God's attributes and how our sinful attitudes and actions all fall short of that. So we need grace because we are all sinners. And so look at verse 23... It says, for all, not some, all. In fact, verse 10, if you look back at at it, it says, not a one is righteous. And that's a problem because God is righteous, but not a one of us is righteous on our own. And verse 11, we know that God is all-knowing, but verse 11 says, none of us understand the, the things of God without His giving us life and ability to understand. Or verse 12 says, no one does good by God's standard. And yet God is good all the time. His goodness should lead us to repent. Chapter 2 says, but in verse 13 of chapter 3, we deceive. And, and that's in contrast to the truth of God that he's mentioned already in chapter 1. And we could walk through all of these, but verse 18 sums it up. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They should fear God when his wrath is revealed, but they do not fear him. Sin is against God and His attributes. And so turn back just to chapter 1, and I want to just walk through this again to see the context where Romans 1.17 says, The righteousness of God is revealed. That's that's through the, the gospel. And then verse 18, we've done messages on each of these, but verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the truth about God, they're actually trying to, to push it down. And then verse 20 uses that word attributes, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Verse 21: For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or if you have the New King James, it says, they did not glorify him as God. That's the problem. They, they knew God, but they didn't glorify him like he deserves or give thanks to him. But they became futile and their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. And so this is what happens in sin. Men are trading the immortal glory for images. Created things now they are focusing on above the Creator. Not glorifying the God of life, but focusing on what will die. This has been called the grave exchange. We're focusing on, on what will die instead of the God who gives us life. The God who made us in His image we are now trading that, sinners are, for images that we make and things of this world. Sin is exchanging the glory of the immortal for an idol. And that's not just true of statues when we think of idols. It's true of the Bible talks about idols of our heart. It's what, what's going on inside of our heart when we prefer or prize or prioritize anything more than God. That's true of all of our sin inside. We all sin and fall short of glorifying God the way He deserves to be. And that includes the wrath of God not being feared, the power of God not being praised, the holiness of God not being reverenced, the glory of God not being honored. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation all the time is, is shouting out about God's glory. But instead of seeing that and and thanking God, praising Him, glorifying and enjoying God forever. Men are exchanging. They're trying to suppress and put that down, and they don't want to think about it. They're prizing and prioritizing things less than God instead of treasuring God above all. And so verse 22 of chapter 1 helps us see what the glory of God means because different translations will, will either say not honoring God as God or not glorifying God as God. To glorify God is to honor God as He is, for who He is, as He deserves. And so when we sin and fall short of that glory, we are not honoring God or, or glorifying Him for who He is. And, and it goes on to say they didn't give thanks. So that's another way that the definition is filled out to praise Him or to give thanks is, is associated with honoring and glorifying Him rightly. We sin and fall short of that. But let me take you to Acts chapter 12 so you can see an illustration of what this looks like in, in real life, failing to bring God glory, not giving Him credit, not giving Him praise. In Acts chapter 12, King Herod decides he's going to throw a party for himself. He, he, has a, he wants to celebrate his own glory, and so he announces a day that's going to be a new holiday, Herod Day. Acts 12, 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne... And delivered an oration to them. This is a day that he had appointed for this. And verse 22, the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. He's just, he's just enjoying this. This is his day that he has made. He's going to rejoice and be glad in himself. But look what happens. Verse 23, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That's a bad end to Herod Day. (laughs) But that's how bad it is when we don't give credit to God. People praise us, and we don't defer that praise to the Lord. Give Him credit. That's the New Testament. That's not just the Old Testament, but we could go to the Old Testament. You've heard of the saying someone saw the writing on the wall that comes out of the book of Daniel chapter 5 where the king Belshazzar literally saw handwriting on the wall and it was interpreted for him. This is what the word of the Lord came to him. You Belshazzar have not humbled your heart. He's going to tell him how he's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have lifted yourself up. The God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways You have not glorified. Belshazzar, you haven't glorified this God who owns you and holds you and has given you all these things. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And it says that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And the root issue, the key issue was you... You haven't glorified this God who has given you all these things. It's a serious thing to not glorify God. God is opposed to the proud who do not glorify him who gives them breath, who are not thankful to him for the fact that they're alive, that that he has been holding them fast. In fact, he says you've been weighed and you've been found wanting the the Hebrew word for glory actually has the idea at the root of it of weightiness, God's weightiness, God's heaviness. Sometimes Scripture speaks of the weight of glory. and It had the idea of his, his bigness, His significance, His importance that we need to recognize and we need to see above all and glorify that. He is the one who holds us in His hand right now. He gives us life and breath and all things. He owns us and everything about us. He is the supreme one above all. And in the Greek word doxa that we get doxology from, it includes having, having this high or this right view and estimation of who he is that we praise him. So doxology, we, we think of that song, praise God from whom all blessings Flow that, that helps us understand what doxa, what glory means. That We need to praise Him for all His blessings. And in Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed when men don't do that. When they don't glorify God as God. And, and even end times wrath is spoken of in these terms in the book of Revelation. This is what heaven shouts out with a loud voice near the end. Fear God and give Him glory. Glory. This is going to go out to the whole world in some way. Because the hour of His judgment has come. Who will not fear the Lord? Who will not glorify the Lord? There is shouting from heaven to the, to the world. And it says, even with that, this voice going out to all the world, so many in the world alive at that point, it says, did not repent and give Him glory. They didn't repent. They didn't give God glory. And to the end of time, then, this is our chief end, to glorify God, to enjoy Him. And, and where we fall short of that, we need to recognize that and we need to repent so that we can give God glory. Who will not glorify God? The angel asked in Revelation, who will not glorify God? This is our key problem as sinners. And this is what we need to see Romans three twenty-three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned is actually in the past tense. It's an active verb. But and fall short is in a present tense, and it's a different verb form to, to say that not only have we all sinned in the past, but we are all continually in this state of falling short, past and present. This is why we need God's grace in verse twenty-four, because it's not just about the past; it's about the present. We're falling short, even in the good things we try to do. We're falling short of God's glorious standard, not really fully doing it for His glory. Maybe doing it for ourselves. So that first verb, all of sin, verse twenty-three, is—you could think of it as a snapshot at a point in time when, when humanity fell in sin. And in fact, this same verb is used in. Romans 5, of when Adam fell into sin and all sinned as a result. But then this second verb, fall short. So that's like a still motion picture. And fall short is like a, like a continual video feed. It's like a, a motion, a live feed of all the time. This is what we keep seeing happening. This, this video footage, this ongoing in motion. We keep falling short. We've sinned and we keep falling short apart from God's grace. We're falling short of what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 5. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, it's one thing to compare yourself vertically or horizontally to others. It's another thing to think, am I perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect? We all miss that mark. But we don't even come close. One writer says, if the law measures the distance between God and his creatures, then human righteousness is our attempt to try to make a bridge bridge that distance by our own efforts we think okay if I just keep trying try to be a good person then I can get there Paul says we're all falling short of that glorious standard some have compared it to like a huge canyon think of this great canyon and it's it's so far across the other side and so we might we look at other people we think, I could, I could jump farther than that person. That person can, they can barely jump at all. And so that person tries to jump. They don't get very far across the canyon. We might get a running start and we, we jump and maybe we get 10 or 12 feet across this huge canyon. But none of us are getting close. We're all falling short. And so we might think we get a little closer than others. But the reality is none of us are better or closer to getting to the other side by our own efforts. We need a bridge to cross that great divide. We need the cross to to bridge that great divide. Maybe some of you have even seen that visually represented where this this cross comes down across that great divide where we can walk across the cross, but but really it's Jesus has to come and even take us across that. And that's where Romans 3.24 comes in after Romans three. 23. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God, but there is this gift where we can be justified, where we can be made right, brought to God by grace. It's free grace, and it's in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's what he did on the cross for us. That's what can get us across. He alone can take us to the other side by his cross, by what he did on the cross. His His death for our sins. His risen life for us. But don't miss how verse 23 is intended to level us at the foot of the cross. All of us fall short. One writer says, The harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of God's glory, but so are you. Maybe they stand, you think, at the bottom of a mine and you're standing on the crest of higher ground or on the, on the mountain, but you're as far away from touching the stars as they are. You can't get up to the heavens any more than they can. No matter where you think you are in relation to others, we are not any closer from leaving this corrupt moral ground to get to heaven on our own than, than whoever we think is the worst sinner the only way to glory in heaven is from god and through god and to god's glory from god's grace through god's son and to god's glory god the father through god the spirit and so god's glorious grace takes us from our problem in sin to our purpose in life god's glory is our problem when we sin romans 3:23 and then god's glory is our purpose when we are saved. Romans eleven thirty six. for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to God be the glory forever. And our purpose in life is to glorify God when He saves us and changes us. That's what Romans 1 through 11 is all about, His grace. And we'll, we'll look more in detail at His grace next week. But as we're saved by grace and changed by grace, we are now able For the first time, to glorify God. Even though he made us in his image to reflect his glory, our sin falls short of his glory. We're created for his glory, Isaiah 43 says. That's our purpose on the planet, but we're all falling short of that on our own. None of us on our own are rightly giving glory up. And so our only hope is for glory to come down. To us. And that's exactly what the gospel is. Isaiah also says that when Messiah would come, then the glory of the Lord would be revealed. In the Old Testament, when they were in the tabernacle, God's glory came down, at least in a visible form, in the Shekinah glory, and it dwelt in the temple or in the tabernacle, and they saw his glory in the cloud and the pillar of fire and all those things, but God's glory then left as God's people were in sin, and Ezekiel describes that, but God's people are looking now, when will your glory come down again? They can't go up to heaven and and get to that glory. When is your glory going to come down again? That's what Jesus, the, the prophet, spoke of how the glory would return to the temple. The glory would return to this earth and to Israel and so we read in John's gospel that Jesus, who is the Word who was God, he became flesh, and he dwelt among people who beheld His glory, glory as of the only God from the Father. He was full of grace and truth. And so at his birth, remember the, the shepherds are in that field, and it's announced, all of a sudden, glory shows up. The glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid or they were terrified and and the angels come and and what do they say to those shepherds now glory to god in the highest and why is that the highest glory now is that unto you has been born this day the savior who is christ the lord messiah the lord is here that highest glory now has come down in this one and he would come into the temple there as a baby, he would come into the temple again when he was 12, the glory of the Lord. Simeon, as a baby, saw him and says, this is the glory of Israel. He comes and he glorifies his, his, his father in every way. He never sinned. He never fell short of the glory of God. He followed God's glorious law perfectly all the time. And everything he did was for the, the motive of glorifying his father. He kept saying that. I'm not here to do what I want. I'm here to to bring glory to my Father. He did miracles that showed his glory. John's Gospel in particular says when he changed water into wine, this was where he began to show his glory. And Jesus died for God's glory as well. He died for our sins that fall short of God's glory. Hebrews says Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3, and he made purification for our sins. God's glorious radiance in the person of Christ came and made purification for our sins. He was the glory of God. It had to be veiled so that people couldn't, couldn't see it while he was here on earth. It was veiled in flesh. But there were times where they saw it through his miracles, but also the transfiguration. They saw the glory. It was, it was like it was, they, they got a, a peak of, that, of, of his true glory on the mount there. But He lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. He died for sins that fall short of His glory. He was raised in glory. He was taken up in glory, Scripture says. And then whenever Scripture talks about His coming again, it says He will come again in glory. He will come to be glorified among all those who believe in Him. And even in His judgment, His glory is on display. But when he was raised, Romans 6 verse 4 says that he was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. It's actually the glory of the Father that raised Jesus from the dead. And then Romans 10 says you've got to believe that to be saved. And you not only have to believe that in your heart, trust his death for you and and life for you, you've you've got to believe that he was raised from the dead and you need to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord to be saved, And when people bow their knee, when people confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, Philippians 2 says that that is done to the glory of God the Father. When knees bow and tongues confess, Jesus Christ is Lord, that's to the glory of God the Father. This is what it's all about. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul calls the gospel, this is the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And so this is the glory of the gospel. You think of Romans 1 where, where sinners exchange the glory of God for, for sinful images. Jesus comes and he actually is the image of God. And he exchanges our sin for his glorious salvation. He takes our sin and he gives us his glorious salvation in return. So we have that grave exchange in Romans chapter 1, trading life with God for what will die. Now we have in Romans 3 the the great exchange where he takes our sin and he, he takes our death penalty and he gives us his life. He actually exchanges our unrighteous life for his righteous, perfect life that he lived. And so this is his rose for mine. This is the glorious exchange of the gospel where on the cross, Jesus takes our sin that falls short of God's glory. He dies for it. And then he rises again from the grave to give believers a new life and a new nature that can glorify God for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We should say amen at that. Salvation is 100% all from Him. Specifically from the work of God the Son. And it is all, everything is through Him. Specifically through the work of God the Spirit. And forever all things are to be to Him. To the glory of God the Father. So praise God from whom all blessings are. Flow. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But how do we do that? How do we glorify God? This takes us to our applications now. How to glorify God? Just walking back through Romans Number 1, be thankful. Romans one twenty one says in the New King James, They did not glorify God as God, nor were they thankful. The implication is we're not glorifying God if we're not thankful. They go together. And so, are you a thankful person? Can you think recently of how you have thanked God? And I don't mean just an obligatory thing that you might say as a routine, like thank you for this food, but thanking God, praising Him for His creation. Thinking about His common grace that we've looked at, His his kindness in this world. Are you a thankful person? If you're not, you're not glorifying God as God. You're falling short of His glory, and so pursue glorifying God by thanking Him. This is what Psalm 50, verse 23 says, The one who offers thanksgiving glorifies me. The one who glorifies me, God says, is the one who is giving thanks. There's a lot of things we can give complaints about. But the one who glorifies God gives thanks. He's a thankful person, and so may that mark our lives. And, and if you've recognized, you, you think back on this last week or this, even just this year, I don't think I've been thanking God very much at all. Recognize that, that you're falling short of the glory of God. Ask him to, for the glory of his name to forgive your sin. Like One of the Psalms prays that way, for the glory of your name forgive my sin and help me to glorify you, So be thankful. That's how we glorify God. And then number two, honor God above all the world. This is the problem in Romans 1, and, and this is the, the flip side when we're saved. Romans one twenty three talks about how sinners are, are taking the things of this world and they're putting them above God. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for the things of this world world. But when we're saved from sin that falls short of God's glory, this begins a process where, where we are now on the flip side, seeking to not put anything of this world above God. And so when we realize something is, is dominating our heart and our affections and our life, and it's not God, we need to recognize that and ask God to to help us with that, to to help Him become the the glorious center of our life again. Uh, we, We need to not trust or treasure anything above God. And so think about that. Think about what's been dominating your affections and your thinking that's not God. What is it that you prize or prioritize most there can be all kinds of things in our life, and our families, and our work that, that we can do to God's glory. We can give Him glory, give Him praise. But if, if those things are coming into the, the center where only His glory is to be, things are going to be out of whack in our life. We need to bring, we need to not approach the center with anything else. It, it needs to, like the center of, of our solar system is that blazing glorious sun. If anything else tries to take that place, it needs to be burned away. We need to not exchange the glory of the immortal God for things of this mortal life. This is serious in Romans, to fall short of God's glory. And so look at Romans 2, verse 7 then. It speaks of those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, that he will give eternal life. So this is a mark of those who have eternal life. They've turned from seeking sin. They're now seeking glory and honor. They're seeking the immortal and the eternal. They're seeking to live for beyond this life. As Jesus said, seek first His, what? His kingdom. That's His glorious kingdom. We need to seek that above all. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We're to pray that way every time we pray. Seek His glory and his honor above all and if by grace you are seeking to do that in this life that's never going to end that's that's an evidence that you in fact have the eternal life that's one of the marks of those who are given eternal life so honor God above all and then number 3 trust God's promises look at Romans 4 verse 20 and God actually gave Abraham a promise. You could read the whole chapter later, but it was hard to believe by what he saw, by what he felt, by what he knew, the promise that they would have a son in their old age, in their 90s. He's around 100. But here's what verse 20 says of Romans 4. No unbelief made him, that's Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So his his faith and, and giving glory to God are connected there in the in the grammar. Verse twenty-one, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So when we trust God, even when we don't see it, when we don't feel it, when when, when we don't know but we're gonna trust God anyways, there's glory that we give to God when we trust his promises. When, when we can't understand some of the things that are going on in our lives, but we say, you know what, I'm going to trust you. You are good. I'm going to trust your character. Even when there's things that are, that are hard that we, that we feel, and, and it's hard to trust God's promises because we're walking by faith, not by sight. We don't see the fulfillment yet, but faith glorifies God when we're fully convinced that God is going to be faithful to what He's promised. And so as you think about where you might doubt, remember that where we doubt, where we have unbelief, that is falling short of God's glory. But again, ask His help. Help me, Lord, to trust You. Strengthen me in my faith. My faith feels weak now. Help me to be strong in my faith to give glory to You. Trust God's promises. And the number four, rejoice in hope of glory to come chapter 5 verse 2 chapter 5 verse 2 through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God so the glory of God is is to be our our hope it's this forward-looking faith and hope isn't just wishful thinking it's a it's a confidence, and, and there's even a, a joy with this. In fact, verse 3 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And so, I know there's suffering people here today. You might wonder, well, how does, how does the hope of glory, how does that help me rejoice when I'm suffering, when I'm struggling, when things are not going well? Well, look at chapter 8, where he comes back to this again. Chapter 8, verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, and then he's going to talk about coming glory. After this life that, that we yearn for, and, and even creation's not all that it will be one day, and we, we groan in our our bodies, and as we age, we groan more and more, and sometimes we just groan. Sometimes the struggles of life, we don't even know how to pray. There's those groanings too deep for words. But the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And, and verse 30 says, For all that God has predestined and Justify, they will be glorified. That means we're actually destined for glory. Verse 24 says, For in this hope we are saved. So, hope is another word for faith, forward looking faith. And we can rejoice as we put our trust in Him that He is, in fact, working all things together for our future good and for His glory. Verse 28 says that, which is another way to say all things that he's working together for good. All things are from him, through him, and to him. So even the difficult things in life are part that are from him that he is working together for good. Even things that are not good, to him be the glory. In Romans 9, 23, if you look at it as we think about our purpose when we're saved, this is God's purpose in saving us. Romans 9, 23, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. That's that's who we are if we're we're saved. we're, We're vessels of mercy, and God's purpose is to make known the riches of his glory. Not just his glory, but the riches, the wealth of them, which he has, he's prepared us beforehand for glory. He's actually preparing you for glory. And he has his riches of glory, so this is God's purpose. This should be our purpose. Rejoice in the hope of glory, and even as I think of the riches of His glory, I think of the promise of Philippians four nineteen. My God will supply all your needs according to. Any of you know that His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So this riches of glory should be a great comfort. He's going to, before we get to glory, continue to supply all of our needs. We've got to believe that, trust that, hope for that, and we should rejoice in that. And then number five, Romans also is going to talk about being a united and welcoming church. Look at Romans 15, and this is, I think, part of what Jesus prayed for in the upper room as he's going to the cross. He prays in John 17. To the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to, to them, to my, to my followers, that they may be one, even as we are one. So that the world will, will know, and he says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. And he says this, that they also may see my Glory. You've given me glory, Father. I've given you glory, Father. And now I'm asking that that glory would be at work so that your church would be one. That they would be perfectly one. Like Father and Son and Spirit are one. That the world would see that. That's how the world sees the glory of God when we are united despite our differences when we can be united in Christ and we're not going to let ourselves be divided because something much bigger than our preferences or how we think should be is at work here. It's, It's the glory of God. It's the glorious love of Father, Son, and Spirit that we need to show to a watching world how we love one another for His glory. The Trinity is on display in the unity of the church. And then Romans 15, verse 5 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, that's another word for unity, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, here's how Jesus' prayer is answered, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we sing together with one voice or when we are united in harmony with with one mind and one voice, it it brings glory to God. And then verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. Other translations say, accept one another. And that implies even accepting them where they have differences than you but you accept them in Christ because they're accepted in Christ. For the glory of God, you want to accept them. You also want to welcome them to be a welcoming person, whether that's welcoming here at church or welcoming people into your home or into your life. That brings glory to God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Some of you have glorified God Already today, because of how you have welcomed others. Some of you have glorified God this this week in your life because you have welcomed others in various ways. If you're falling short of God's glory in that area, seek to pursue how you can welcome other people into your life in some way for the glory of God. And then lastly, number six, glorify God by praising Him, spreading His glory Last purpose statement in verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Verse 10. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord. And it says we're to do this among the nations. We're to proclaim His glory among the nations. Psalm 96 says we're to tell of His salvation from day to day. This is what evangelism and and missions is about. It's about spreading the glory of God to to people who are not yet giving Him glory, who are not yet worshiping Him like He deserves. You want to spread that message and tell of His salvation. And and we want to, through missionaries, spread the, the glory of God all around the world. As sinners who fall short of God's glory then become Saved And and they become no longer sinners falling short of God's glory. They become singers of God's glory. That's what we should long for when we pray for our missionaries. When we pay, when we give to support our missionaries. We're spreading the glory of God. and, And when the church gathers for worship, God is glorified if we truly sing to Him. If we unite our voices and our praise to Him. Some of the Psalms... Say this, give unto the Lord the glory, do his name, worship the Lord. Everyone cries, Glory. Psalm 29 says, or another, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. And we have an opportunity to, to do that now, and it sums up exactly the song that we're going to sing, it comes out of Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul talks about how God has predestined us, He has adopted us, He has done all these things even before the foundation of the world, bringing us so that we're accepted in the Beloved. And it says, Ephesians 1.6, He did this to the praise of the glory of His grace. So that's what God the... God the Father did, and then it talks about the work of God the Son, how we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and and this purpose of of all time that He is now uniting all things in Christ. Why? It says, to the praise of His glory. And then it says, the Spirit seals us. The Spirit guarantees our hope. And He does all this, Ephesians 1, verse 14, to the praise of His glory. So everything God does from eternity past to eternity future, Father, Son, and Spirit, past, present, future, all of it is to the praise of His glory, to the praise of the Father's glory, to the praise of the Son's glory, to the praise of the Spirit's glory, so that we praise God from whom all blessings flow. We praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so as we sing that song, I want you to think of those words. And Before we sing, let me just... Give you this final quote by Philip Riken. He says, Whenever we worship God, we do what we were made to do. In our prayers and praises, we declare that God alone is glorious. But how else can you glorify God? You can do it by whatever you set your hand to. You you can do it by what you do for work. You can do it through your through your art or, or through your music, even like Johann Sebastian Bach, who on all of his musical compositions he would put his this initial at the end s d g for soli deo gloria you may not be as talented as him but whatever you can do you can have that mindset i'm doing this for god's glory alone you can do this by by working relying on his strength so that he would be glorified it could be in the menial tasks of the home when a dish is washed When a floor is mopped, even when a diaper is changed, or even a puppy is being taken care of like we're doing in our home, you you can actually do those menial things for the glory of God. In fact, Paul says, whatever you do, even the most mundane things like food or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Because from Him and through Him, And to Him are all things. To Him be, say it with me, the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we pray that You would lift up our thoughts and our hearts from this world. We trust that You already have, but Lord, we can so easily forget We can become those who suppress truth. We can become those who do not honor you or glorify you as God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue and seek your glory and your honor. And we pray these things because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.